Welcome to Rhyme and Reason, hosted by Dr. Barry. Today, Barry welcomes addiction professional Daniel Dempsey. And now, here's Dr. Barry Ryman. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're tuned in from, uh, wherever you're listening to this at, whether it's driving in your car or sitting in front of your computer on a lunch break. Uh, today should be an amazing show. This is episode number 19. That is 19 straight weeks that we've done this show, and I'm pretty impressed with that. Uh, we will be skipping a week next week. I uh, just wanted to put that out there now. I will be on vacation, taking a little trip with my daughters to a, a nice little resort on the other coast in Florida. Uh, need a little break. So, but we have some more great shows lined up for you guys coming up after next week. Um, today should be fun. Uh, today we're bringing on actually a, a pretty good friend of mine that, you know, I, I get really psyched and it's awesome when we bring on high profile people and, and, you know, Dan in his own right is a high profile person. He is definitely a legend in his own mind. That's for sure. Um, but, but in all reality, my favorite is to bring on, you know, the local grind till you die type person who has a real awesome story of comeback, redemption, uh, back against the wall, dead and dying to revived and all the good things that come along with that. Um, you know that if you've been tuning into the show that I am a big fan of uh, feel good stories. I'm a big fan of people who were in one place in life where, you know, things were not going well. And through the grace of recovery, they've been propelled into a totally different dimension. Um, I'm not going to give away, you know, Dan's whole story and, and we're going to let him tell that. But I do think it's important to note that if there's anybody on here right now that's listening, that's struggling, that's feeling hopeless, that's feeling helpless, I can tell you there is always hope. Always hope. And even if you don't feel it. So, you know, uh, Dan is our guest this week. He was born and raised in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. One of the things I love about Dan is how into sports he is. And if you've been following along on this journey through Rhyme and Reason, you know that I'm also, aside from being a big recovery advocate, I'm a huge sports fan. Uh, Dan actually played college football and blew his knee out at the ripe old age of 18 years old, which is when he really first began self-medicating with substances. Uh, in 2019... His father, who I had met uh, a couple years prior, reached out to me asking to get his son help. And now, um, and, and you know, I don't want to give away the whole story, but now Dan and I get to work side by side, you know, uh, helping or, or attempting to help save other people from the depths of addiction and despair. Uh, I'm really excited to hear his story. Greg, if you could bring Mr. Daniel Dempsey on. Hey, what's going on, boss? <laughs> How you feeling today, man? I am feeling excited. I really am. You know, for for the people who will be listening when it's uploaded to Spotify or to Apple iTunes, they might not be able to see the video. Although I did discover the other day, and I don't know if you know this or if you're a podcast person, but even in the Spotify app, if you click into an episode, you can actually see the live feed of when it was live and you could see the video. But for those who are driving, listening to this on Spotify or Apple iTunes, keep your hands on the wheel, your eyes on the road, and just know that Mr. Daniel Dempsey, who hails from Philadelphia, is on this show wearing a Dolphins jersey. And if you could give us a little turnaround, I want to see who's on the back of that jersey. But 
Oh my God! It's Daniel Dempsey, number nine. How did you pick number nine? <laughs> number nine's been uh, my football number for a while, but it's because of Rudy. He wore forty-five, but the positions I played, you couldn't wear forty-five back in the day. Now, when you say Rudy, are you referring to that old football movie, Rudy? Yes, yeah, my favorite movie of all time. Uh, let's do it together. Ready? Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. <laughs> Paula says hi. Paula Mueller, um, one of our fan favorites. Uh, she's another one that, you know, uh, we're going to get to you in a second, Dan, because we got a whole hour for you. But yeah. just to give Paul, Paula a shout out, Paula's another one that I saw um, at her most vulnerable. We'll put it that way. I, I made a little trip to Northern Virginia to participate in an intervention with uh, her family, like in her extended family and people who like flew in, I believe from like Minnesota, if I remember right. Um, so, and here she is today and you know, Paula, and she is still clean and doing the right thing after being a recovery unplugged. So big shout out to Paula. Um, Paula, give yourself a round of applause. Uh, so Dan, I saw you. I saw you early on. Okay. Um, I heard about you before I saw you. I got a call from your stepdad. Um, we call him Camp. Yeah, and big I, camp. I don't know. I don't know if Big Camp is listening today, but you know, I want you to picture the biggest badass motherfucker you can ever meet. Okay, motorcycle guy with the with the goatee chin thing that comes down that gets braided uh does he still have that or did he snip it yeah. off nope still has it <laughs> okay <laughs> so i remember the first time meeting tommy and i was very intimidated okay because i'm a nice jewish boy from south florida <laughs> you know i i don't and uh, i met this big burly guy who and let me tell you man to this day, I'm not certain if I've met somebody with a bigger heart. Absolutely. You know, and, and he's a clinician. Yes. That's the crazy. He's like two <laughs> different sides of the spectrum. Like he's one of the smartest people I've ever met. He'll tell you dates, times, anything you need to know about anything, he knows. And the best part about him, he doesn't hold his tongue. With someone like me, I need to be told certain things. So let's just talk about him for a second, because the old saying, you never judge a book by its cover. And I I think that that, you know, in recovery, you know, even the people we meet and he's been in recovery for a long time. I'm going to break his fucking anonymity. Yeah, I'm going to break his anonymity. I don't give a shit. 36 years. Right. So. We are, and, and I speak, I think, for all of us in the recovery community, we are a motley crew, okay? Like the friends that I've had over the last 26 years, if you threw them all up against the wall, it would look like it would be like the perfect commercial for political correctness when involving people from all mankind. You know, you have teachers and and the head of the PTA to gangsters with tattoos on their face. I mean, and somehow, some way we all get along. It is the true definition of a Motley crew. And what you find in recovery is that it doesn't matter what you look like. doesn't matter where you come from, right? When you remove those substances and you start doing some of the work in recovery, we all become who we're supposed to be. And, um, those are just kind of my thoughts, you know. So shout out to Tommy Camp. Uh, shout out, shout out to Philly. Shout out to Horsham Clinic. <laughs> Horsham. <laughs> oh man. So all right, let's get into this. So tell us, and I already know some of this, but you know, tell the listeners a little bit about your story. You know where you come from what your upbringing was like, you know, um, and, and kind of what led you down the path that, that took you to athletics, football, lacrosse, um, and eventually we'll get to how you became a Dolphin fan. 
Well, that that's the beginning of it, how I became a dive junk. Because I, I believe I suffer from like alcoholism. So I was the type of kid when I was younger. I asked questions all the time, but uh, I was very hyperactive. I was always running around doing something. So at four or five years old, my mom sent me to football for the Frankfurt Boys Club. So I had this ability since I was young. I just watched things and watched people. Um, so I noticed the quarterback was getting the ball every time and all the cheerleaders liked the quarterback. So me being me, I had to be the quarterback. Um, my name's Dan. That's how I started liking Dan Reno. And then I just oh. loyal, loyal to a fall. I stayed with them. Um, by the time seven, eight, everyone was getting taller. As you know, I'm five, seven, five, eight on a good day. And they asked me kindly to not play quarterback anymore because I couldn't see over the line. <laughs> <laughs> and so they made me running back and safety. Um, my childhood, I always call it rich, poor. My mom's probably going to hate me to say that. Like we could go to McDonald's, but we couldn't afford a Happy Meal. Um, we always had food. We always had clothes. Always had a house. Um, I can break around. I mean, my mom struggled with substance too. And at the age of eight, she got sober. And it was the craziest thing because it went from like having like the bare minimum stuff, like the necessities, to like having things. Um, her attitude changed, and it, you seen the light go off in her head. And it got like better. Like I got to go to a private high school where like it was amazing. That's when I started excelling more in football and lacrosse. Um, that was my outlet for things because I didn't drink or drug really early in my life. I don't have that story. Football was, um, lacrosse was. Um, I was always younger than everyone else. Like my senior year of high school for football during the fall, I was 16 years old. I didn't turn 17 till January. Um, so my using, like, I would drink every now and then because it was socially acceptable. But every time I drank, I would get like blacked out drunk or I would do wild things. Just, I'm what were some of those? Tell me, to, to, uh, back up. What's some of those wild things you would do? Um, and, we, and we can get real on this show, okay? There, there's take no cars, worry. take no cars, <laughs> take cars for joy rides. Uh, okay. Your cars or other people's cars? Uh, I borrowed them. You borrowed them, okay? All yeah, right, school, I got you. School buses, um, <laughs> running around naked, uh, getting bites. Uh, just if someone told me I couldn't do something. I was the type of person that I would have to do it to prove to you that I could do it. Was this drunk or not drunk that you would run around naked and take school buses? Both. Would you drive the school buses naked? No. Okay. All right. And you know, you're, you weren't that bad then. Yeah. <laughs> um, but. <laughs> Ryan says my man stole a school bus. <laughs> um, was it a shorty or a long one? Short bus. Short bus. Uh, right where you belong. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have to bring my helmet, though. Um, <laughs> um, like, I got in a fight with a teacher in high school. Um, like, I would just do... Was it a verbal altercation or a physical one? Physical. Oh, wow. Yeah. Ma male or female? A male, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Right, that's where like my ego kicked in. Cause I, 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 at the time, I thought because I scored touchdowns and scored goals in lacrosse that I didn't get in trouble. But the real honesty was my mom went up there and told them had my back. Hmm. Um, the teacher was in the wrong, but I was also in the wrong too. Right, um, but like that's how my ego would affect my life. Because again, like I said, my mom was sober eight years old, so AA was raising me, and I didn't know AA was raising me. Wow. Right. So, like, I would stay away, but like, I also knew in the back of my head every time I drank, smoked weed. I, I that's the big like until like eighteen. That's my basics. But something happened to me. Like, I got a little too goofy. I got pee myself, or I get too blacked out drunk. Like, and it was always like all my friends would be like, "Dude, we can't. You can't hang out with us." Right? Because I'm. Just, I was just sloppy. So, like, I would 
be like a weekend warrior once a month or something like that. So the one of the big turning points of with my ego, playing college football, playing uh, lacrosse, we won a championship, uh, conference championship with lacrosse, playing defensive midi. Um, blew my leg out, tore my ACL, MCL, LCL, all kinds of stuff. And um, no one believed me that I did it. So for three months, I was playing college football, practicing for lacrosse with no ligaments in my leg. Um, until finally, I was taken to the hospital, and they found that out. And I started doing physical therapy. And the first day, again, this is 2005, so they had the Oxy-80s. And I took one, and I seen the look on my mom's face, and she... Um, dumped them all down the toilet. So I knew I couldn't take them anymore. But my drinking progressed. Right? I was in like a hard cast up to my hip. And I'll never forget, I think I had surgery in December like 1st. But that New Year's, and this is another story about camp, but that New Year's, I got blackout drunk and I fell down 50 stairs. I proceeded to walk home like a quarter mile with no crutches and punching side mirrors off cars. And I woke up to Campy um, checking if I'm alive and a two foot chicken cheesesteak hoagie next to me. And my ass <laughs> was split open with blood everywhere. So I had to get, do it all over again. Um, but when during physical therapy, I was in so much pain because my mom wanted let me take the pain medicine that my drinking was getting outrageous it was just i was trying to self-medicate myself with alcohol mm-hmm. so that's at Weiner university i get kicked out of Weiner university because my grades go down right and my ego kicks in because they literally just told me hey write a letter to the dean stating like you won't miss class. You'll pass your grade, you'll pass your test. Like you'll you'll attend. That's all you have to do. And I was like, I scored touchdowns and score goals for you. I don't got to write shit. And they're like, All right, see you later. Right. So then I transferred to another school, which I won't name because of certain things. Um. I stopped playing football. I I just I just couldn't take the beating anymore. To be honest with you. Um, it's, it's taking a toll on my body. So I started playing lacrosse. Um, was there about for a year and a half. Getting pretty good at it. Uh, going to play down in Orlando. But before that is the, the biggest thing that really took my life in a different... <laughs> I love Jason. Uh, took my life in a different direction, right? Because remember, I think I suffered from alcoholism my whole life. And so we had a party and a girl falsely accused me of sexual assault. Um, I was never in handcuffs, never been locked up in my life. Nothing happened. Um, but they, I mean, that's gotta be, I mean, that's gotta be a, a scary time, a big eye opener. Um, you know, and, and what, what year was this just for, chronological perspective 2007 yeah 2007 and you didn't get clean till 2019 oh yeah yeah Yeah, so we're we're still 12 years did i do math right yeah 12 years yeah 12 i had a second guess myself on elementary math uh 12 12 years from when the shit really hit the fan okay so you get accused of sexual assault was this at a party Yes, it was at my house that I had on like off campus. Okay. Um, so again, like I'd never been locked up, never handcuffed. But while that was going on, the school kicked me out of school. They're having like secret meetings saying I wasn't attending, but I was attending everything that I was told through my lawyers. Um, so they reinstated me. Like I said, I'd never been charged. It was long story short, she had a boyfriend and got caught. That's what happened to make mm-hmm. it in layman's term. Um, so they reinstated me in school, but they said I couldn't play the cross. 
Why? We don't know, right? The only time they let me play lacrosse, or they didn't even let me play lacrosse, I was supposed to go down and look at some teams in Orlando to play. And when I got down there, they're like, you have a hip injury. And I'm like, no, I don't. And they're like, yeah, you have a hip injury, you're not playing. Said other scouts and other coaches asked me, like, hey, how's your hip doing? And I'm like, I don't have a hip problem. Um, then it like little things start happening. Like the the girls across team, the girls softball team was down there and they would come up to me and be like, Hey, we can't be with you by ourselves. It has to be two of us. Like they were making rules, like I couldn't be around the females or in our school. So like that started to like hurt because I was friends with them. Hmm. Um, on the plane, the athletic director and his wife wanted to sit next to me. They made a big scene on the plane about it. So, like, I start burning all these emotions and resentments. And um, I basically – That's got to hurt. Yeah, because, like, I knew if I was Philly Dan or I told people how I felt about it, like, they would lock me up and throw away the keep or something else. It felt like they were trying to catch me on something that I didn't do. Like, they were just find anything and everything. They were trying to get a reaction from me. That's how it felt. You know what I mean? That's my side of the story. Um, yeah. So it was basically that going. Um, the, the thing that really broke me, and um, Irish Catholic boy. I'm sorry, man. We got, we got the infamous Tommy Camp, uh, who I spent the first probably three minutes of the show talking about. Um, chiming in. God, I love that guy, man. I, yeah. I fucking love that guy. Uh, you, you're even realer, Tommy. Okay. Yeah. And, and I hope you were tuned in earlier when I was talking about your little braid you come, <laughs> your little braid you have coming from your chin. Uh, sweetest, most vulnerable, kindest soul um, in a burly, badass body. So. All right, go go ahead, Dan. Let's let's get back to your trauma. <laughs> my trauma, I love that word. <laughs> no, man, my sad story. That's what I always say, my sad story. Um, but being an Irish Catholic boy, um, I had nuns uh, call me a rapist, and like it's it wasn't even a rape; it was sexual assault. Like I was called that multiple times from people in power. Um, so, like I said, I bury them resentments for a, a long time and um, anything do with anything if I wasn't catching a break with some things. So I basically took my ball and ran and went home. I got out of college. Um, but when I got home, bearing all them resentments, the drug use started because I was drinking, but getting in fights, being sloppy. One of my friends handed me a Xanax and said, dude, you need to chill out. You're angry all the time. You're just angry. And then Xanax made me feel good. It made me like the, the madness in my head stop. So I would go around just chasing different things um, to make me feel different. Um, so I, like you said, I want on that about 15 year run. Right. Um, Cause I come from family. Like, I didn't have health insurance. I couldn't keep a job. Um, God knows, can't be my mother. Everyone tried to keep me having a job, but uh, that like that's the biggest story. I'm like I would get a job, do good for like two months, three months. The biggest one was like a year, but then it would come crashing down, and I'm in a basement talking to myself. Hmm. Like uh, I was always doing drug math to get off this. I got to do that, do this, do that. So did um, did you have like a and I'm going to interrupt you often because yeah. that's just what I do. But did you have like a moment in time where, and I can only speak for myself, right? When I was living in the insanity, and I call it insanity, of active addiction, right? Insanity, and we know that definition. It's doing the same things over and over, expecting different results. I always thought that somehow, some way, my life was going to work out when I continued to use drugs. But... Every once in a while, I would have what we call a moment of clarity, okay? And I, I remember vividly, and, and sometimes it's just a fleeting moment, but I remember being up at school, 
in Gainesville and I was ripping and running and I was doing really bad things. And it was like, uh, I don't know, it was like a Monday morning after a long weekend. And I looked in the mirror and for the first time, I saw somebody staring back at me that I didn't recognize. And I don't think there was any other way to explain it than, holy shit, you know, what the fuck am I doing kind of moment, right? And then 10 minutes later, that thought's gone and I'm back to doing what I'm doing. Now, you had a pretty long run from the insanity and the trauma that occurred in your life in 2007 to not getting clean until 2019. Would you ever have these moments where you were like, it can't be the job that I keep losing every two months. It it can't be my family that's in recovery. This has to be me. And, you know, Am I going to do something about this? Am I going to continue on to the bitter ends? Like, what did that look like for you? Did you have any of those moments through your time in active addiction where you like, you know, and then we bring up powerlessness, right? Because we can have those moments, but if we don't do anything about it or we can't quote unquote do anything about it because we're caught in the throes, that's really the essence of powerlessness. Did you experience any of that? Absolutely. Um, but like my answer was getting a job, like that's right. Right, but you'd cool. lose the job after two months. Yeah, but and I would be like, all right, I'll be good. I'll get it's like another job. Um, like I would go to my mom, like my mom's my best friend. I would go to her or my brothers and be like, all right, I need a job. We gotta do this, and then they would help me, and I would do good. But like, I never would admit right before. Like we'll get to that. I would never admit that I was an alcoholic and addict. Wouldn't admit it. Like, uh, it was like the farthest thing from my mind. I knew something was wrong, but I just needed a little break because everything that happened to me in college is why I'm not catching a break now. Like, I just needed a steady job. Like, it's, it's never Dan's fault. So you were in that victim role. Oh, I was in the victim role so bad that I couldn't recognize anything else besides if it rained outside, um, the thing that happened in college. Like, that's how bad it was because after going through recovery, I didn't talk about anything. You know what I mean? My family just kind of, it's not a bad thing. We just kind of move on. But I was holding on to that because everything was taken away from me, but no one could explain why. Right? Tell me I'm not good enough to play lacrosse. Tell me I'm too old. Right? Tell me a reason, but no one gave me a reason. That was my biggest thing about holding resentments against these certain people against the nuns and athletic directors and the deans all right so what happened so my mom (laughs) i don't have health insurance so it was like 2000 i guess 17 she was like hey just admit you're an alcoholic and addict we'll get you a scholarship to go west palm and I'm like, okay. So I admit finally that I'm an alcoholic and addict. Well, the scholarship fell through. So I proceeded to do the rest of my drugs. I passed out. My brother, Derek, and my mother drove me to Horsham Clinic, which is a nice little spot. Um, and got there then got transferred to a place called Kirkbride and um when I was there this is like a god moment I'm looking around and here it's the University of Viner it's on its campus right so then I had this bright idea of I would figure out because it was like a madhouse in there that if you don't take the TV shot they won't let you in so I told them I ain't taking the shots so they proceeded to escort me out but i'm like thinking the whole time like damn about 10 years ago you were the man here now you're in a rehab that's mm-hmm. on the same campus so i proceeded to uh uh leave got picked up by an uber went back home went to my sister's house got a job right away plumbing but when they brought my stuff over there was a bunch of fentanyl in there 
So I just started that run for two years. And the old joke is I used to basically talk shit to my mother and everyone that would camp that was trying to get me help is I would only get recovery if it was in Florida. But I knew that they couldn't get me down there because of the money situation um, and my willingness. They didn't want to get me down here. But it took two years. It was another two-year run of basically me in basements talking to myself and being friends with the shadow people. Like, that, <laughs> that, 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 like that's how bad it got because I was so depressed that I would just be like, just come get me. Like, it, it's over. Like, I knew it was over, but, like, I didn't want to stop fighting for some reason. I, I didn't want to give up the power of being a victim, I guess you would say. Um, and then that's when I got on a plane January 8th, 2019. Mm-hmm. And what did that look like for you? Scared to death. I had 20 hours in my pocket. I think I had three pairs of clothes. Um, again, this is my first time. I went to the mental institution in Horsham. Um, first time I, I love telling this story um i come down and they give you a safety call so i'm a ball buster so i call my mom and i tell her hey there's no they enter a p test and i go hey there's nothing to my system they got to send me home right and christine stephanie shiner stephanie pointer then i'll never forget this christine spins around in her chair and goes sweetie you lit that thing up like a Christmas tree. You popped for PCP. And I was like, I don't even know I took PCP. Um, and then I proceeded to walk out on the campus on Lake Worth. And there was a guy digging in the bushes, screaming that they're coming after us. So I beeline it to the basketball court, and I sit in the bushes. And I was there for like, three to five minutes and they couldn't get me out of the bush because i kept saying i don't know who's coming but i'm gonna be prepared for them like i gotta hide um and it's a little embarrassing the way they got me out of the bush is they came over with some food and i totally forgot about the people coming like they just came over gave me food and i just walked out so if there was someone coming at me they would have caught me slipping so let me let me back up um you know, prior to coming to Recovery Unplugged, tell me a little bit about your bottom, right? And and what finally got you to that place where you became, quote unquote, willing to make a change? And did you have it in your head that this was the end? This is it? Or did was it, I'm going to just go through with this and uh, see what I can do? I put it this way. I was running around people's houses to go in Philadelphia and get kicked out of, right? So my idea was to do 30 days down, like no one really knows it, but do 30 days down here, and then someone's going to invite me back in their house, and I'll be able to drink casually again. I was just running out of places. I was sleeping in my car at one time. I didn't want to sleep in my car no more. Like, I was looking just, I didn't think there was a problem. Right. Because I thought the world owed me something. Mm-hmm. So I was mistreated. Like that, that victim, like to being a parent of victim, like that's all I thought it was. So, yeah, like I knew it was bad in the back of my head, but in the sense of hitting the bottom, my my biggest bottom, I think, was when I was sober at nine months. Um, I was living in an abandoned house. Um, like that, that's where my thinking takes me. Hmm. There's no drugs and alcohol on me. Um, like that, that's how it works. But like through recovery unplugged, I had the same pattern. That's how it got to me to nine months in the abandoned house. At the beginning, I would do detox. I didn't talk to anyone. Like I wasn't a bad client. I just didn't talk to anyone. Like they would have groups. I would go to every group. And they would just talk and I would just stare at the therapist. Mm-hmm. And at the very end, because I didn't know how treatment worked, but before I moved on, I would start getting vulnerable, right? But then I would go to PHP and I would do the same thing over again. Then I would do it to IOP, right? And then IOP, I was basically like, 
this AANA stuff isn't for me. I don't have a problem. I have more mental issues than my drinking and my drugging. So I bebop around the different halfways. And you know, our buddy Dan Sindel, um, I always say, say it's like Save a Prior and Ryan. I came home from one of the halfways from work doing concrete. And he's like, the owner stole all of our money. He smoked crack. We got to go. Um, and I am like, I'm not leaving. And he's like, no, you got, you have to go. Like the sheriffs are coming. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not leaving. I'm staying. Um, so I proceeded to stay there. The total time me being in the band house was like three weeks. So the first night was a Friday. I didn't shower because the lights in and the water were off. Right. So I had to do overtime on Saturday. So I go Saturday again. This is my best thinking at the time at nine months sober. Uh, go work. I come home. I get an extension cord, extension cord and a key to turn the water back on. So I ran everything next door to the next door neighbor. And then I turned the water on. So I was in this house that what used to be a halfway stealing water and electricity. And I thought like I was King, King Kong, basically I was a King shit. Like I, I did all this. And, um, by day four, the disease start getting to me. It was like, Hey, then you can drink. No one's you in you anymore. Um, like the, the end of the month, the sheriffs were coming to close down. I'm living in some abandoned halfway. Um, I don't know why I did this. I, I still don't, I can't put my finger on it. I prayed to God, even though I was really mad at him for everything that happened to me. And I, I, I'll never forget the prayer that I said. I said, God, do not let me get a year by myself. So I know my ego would tell me that I did this all by myself, which is not true. You've helped me. Can't be something. Recovery unplugged. Jeremy, Benj, Bobby, like all these people have helped me. But I want to tell you that I, I thought my ego, like I did this all myself. And uh, I go on my app and see uh, Sunshine Cathedral's down the street. And they had a, the name of the meeting was uh, St. Francis de Sales, which was my high school patron saint. So I go there and um, I get vulnerable. And I raised my hand. Said, I had nine months. I need a sponsor. I'm looking for halfways. And the guy chairing the meeting is from Philadelphia and owns halfways. Huh. Right. So, again, this is my crazy thing. He goes, hey, listen, we're opening a new house in about a week and a half. You can sleep on one of our couches. And I'm like, nah, look, you don't understand. Like, I got this whole place. The lights are on. The water's running. I'm there by myself. Like, it's cool. <laughs> and he's like. Are you sure you're not using? Do you mind UA you? I'm like, hey, you UA me anytime you want. So they would walk down like every day or every two days because it was right next to them. And they would come UA me. And they thought I was batshit crazy, which I was. I was literally insane. All right. So listen, you're completely blowing my mind because I did not know this occurred. <laughs> so you're going to tell me, and just to recap for people who might have just tuned in, you have nine months sober. You're living in an abandoned house yes. that you're running electricity from another property that you've jimmied, right? Do you have yes. water at this point? Is there water? Yeah, I got the key from Home Depot because I knew from the plumbing, I knew how to turn the water on from the street. Okay. All right. So you're living in an abandoned house with nine months sober. You go to a meeting. You meet a guy who's chairing the meeting who's from Philadelphia and owns halfway houses He's telling you you could sleep on his couch, and you're like, "Now nah, I'm good. I'm in my abandonment." Yeah. All right. All right. Like, I just want. I just uh, try to what, you know piece all this together. Like, yeah, that's me without drugs and alcohol. Like, that's just me being damn with no spiritual experience, not dealing with the, my demons or my trauma. Like, that's how I, I thought I knew everything. But what the fuck were you doing in Recovery Unplugged if you didn't deal with your demons and trauma? You can't say you, you didn't Listen, deal with this stuff. I would deal with it, but I wouldn't let it go. Like, for instance, like, okay, so you're holding on to it. Yeah, I'm the king. Like, I always call it the trump card. I would let things go 90, 95, 99%.
or to be in my Rolodex, right? So if anything did anything, if I had something against you, I'd pull it out every time. That would like, yeah, I dealt with things, but in a sense of, I didn't let go. And that like, that's the biggest thing for my recovery is letting go and forgiving people that I've hurt and letting, letting that like digest for me because I want to hold a grudge against everyone. Because I, again, it didn't tell him. I was, I thought I was owed something. Right. And mm-hmm. that's when, like, I got into, I met my sponsor and I got into the book. And, like, because after recovery, I would go to alumni meetings sometimes, but I really wanted. But when I started getting the book, I started going back to Recovery Unplugged because they literally showed me the tools and I started using the tools tenfold. Like I had all the information. I come with the analogy all the time. Like people thought, I got the tools, I got the knowledge. I use this analogy. If you get a flat tire, you know how to change a flat tire. You can have the tire iron, you can have the jack, you can have a spare tire. You pull that out of your car and you don't put any work in, the tire's going to stay flat. You can have the knowledge of changing the tire. You got the tools of changing the tire. But if you don't put no work in, the tire's going to stay flat. That's basically how I was living my life. I love that. I mean, that's a that's a really good analogy, Dan. And I'm like the king of analogies. I came up so, with that by myself. The, so if, I, if I'm telling you that's a good analogy, you pat yourself doubly on the back there because you're right. Or it's like freaking starving walking five miles to get to this all-you-can-eat buffet and then when you get there nah i'm just gonna look at the food yeah it, 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 that's how it was like it, it it's sometimes like i think about it and i'm like that was my best thinking sober like so like for me the drugs and alcohol were like part of the problem but it wasn't all the problem right when i start getting into the steps and I start forgiving myself and loving myself the correct way, not on the ego or pride base. And I truly love Dan for being Dan. That I'm quirky, I'm wild. I sometimes say the wrong things at the wrong time, right? Forgiving that nun, forgiving that athletic director, and not holding on to it, like that's true freedom for me. Because I remember when I got to them, and I wrote it down on my little list, and um. They're like, you're going to forgive this person. I was like, nah, I'll go to my grave with this. They've done something to me that I can never get back. And no, like, again, like, that was my answer. I want to be the judge, jury, and executioner. I'm like, tell me why I can't, why I, can't, I couldn't play the cross. Tell me why I couldn't go to certain games. Tell me why I couldn't play in Orlando. And everyone just put their hands up. I'm like, so you get to ruin my life by these words or false accusations. But I had to just sit here and not say anything. And being from Philadelphia and being me, it's very hard for me not to say something. Um, a shout out to Blake Cohen. He's the one that helped me forgive the nun because he said, Dan, you think you're running a good program. Remember the ego is still kicking in. Um, he is. you got to forgive them people in your heart, man. And I had to sit down. It didn't happen right away. And it took about six months of every day praying and understanding that they're just human too. And they messed up. I can't I can't put them on trial the rest of my life because it was killing me. Uh-huh. It was killing me in sobriety, out of sobriety. And I truly let them go. And that's like where the magic happens. I love this. You know, we're we're talking forgiveness and I can tell you with 100% certainty that the majority of everybody right now who's tuning into this podcast, whether it's live or later on, all have somebody in their life they need to forgive. We all do, right? Whether it's justified or unjustified, whether we think we were wronged, but what people don't talk about the most is forgiving ourselves. Yeah. I mean, right? You, you start working a program of recovery and you dive into these 12 steps and you get to that ninth step when it's time to make an amends and you're in that A step and you're making your list. And if you have a really good sponsor, your sponsor is going to tell you to put you at the very top of the list because 
you did things to yourself that if any other human being would have followed you around and done all those things to you that you did to yourself, you would have murdered that person. Absolutely. That's Campy told me that. And Campy always to tell me, uh, get off the cross. We need the wood. Yeah. You know, so, and that ties into the whole victim persona, right? But we, we all have somebody in our life and aside from ourselves that at this moment we need to forgive. So I'm going to ask, we're going to get deep now and I'm going to ask, talk about it. Hear me now. I'm going to ask the listeners to think of that one person right now and in their hearts, find forgiveness for that person. Right. Find forgiveness for that person, whether you think justifiably you were holding on to a resentment. Because we do that, right? I I deserve to hate that fucking person. (laughs) Forgive this motherfucker. Right. (laughs) But if we don't forgive, that negativity affects one person and one person only. And that's yourself. Yeah, it's like drinking poison and expecting another person to die. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's that's the biggest freedom I got. Like forgiving myself and just chalking it up as to that's life, man. Like it's not that deep. I gotta keep moving forward. Like uh, I'm blessed beyond anything. I'm about to have a baby girl in November. You know what I mean? I have my own apartment now. Like they're the things. By just forgiving myself and going through everything that I went through, right? Because it was to me. That's why it's so deep that I let go of things. Why am I carrying this? So and why did you go? Why, why? Why did you? I, I don't want to say why did you. Yeah. How long were you clean when you started to actually live in recovery? About 11 months. Okay. So nine months you moved from the abandoned minion to 11 months you moved into recovery. Well, yeah, I had a lot of assignments because my sponsor uh, would just give me these assignments and I was lackadaisical. Just being, you know, I was lazy. And then uh, I just got into it and I fell in love with it because things were happening for me that. I I couldn't explain getting hired at Recovery Unplugged, right? Like, I'm a blue-collar worker. I do manual labor, right? I, I didn't I didn't do this. I call this a corporate job. Like, I don't – you always see me walking around not because I'm not built to sit behind a computer, um, right? And I had no idea what alumni coordinator was. But I got to see people like yourself, Jeremy Benj, Bobby, Steph Shiner, Christine, Rob, talk to people and you would see the light go on. Hmm. Right? And I wanted what you guys had. Right? So I would just mimic things from all of you guys. I would take like a buffet, little things from each one, and then I would make it my own. And that it's what the alumni coordinator that gets me provided. Like I don't talk bad about other treatments, but our alumni team across the board is 365, 24-7 support. I get phone calls 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, and guess what? I'm happy about it, right? For a long time, no one wanted to call me. Family, friends, like, they just didn't want to talk to me. Or my phone was mm-hmm. off, right? So, like, that's the big thing for me. And I got to see, like, you get to see someone like me in detox or before detox and then make it out of it and then they're living life Mm -hmm. so let's fast forward a little bit okay you have a hell of a story from from where you come from what you've been through your stubbornness your hard-headedness your insanity that you lived in the potential legal issues that you faced, the trauma you endured, the move from Philly to Florida, going through treatment, being stubborn and hard-headed again, living homeless at nine months clean, 
But yeah, you were you were a little better than homeless. <laughs> you you were homeless with a home that wasn't yours. All right. Well, we'll fluff it up a little bit. I like the bar of things. Have you noticed in my life? Yeah. <laughs> and you are what I would consider stereotypically a knucklehead. Okay. Correct. And, and I mean that with love. Yeah. But you are one of my most favorite people in life to help. Your type. Because when you get it, you fucking got it. You know what I mean? Like this is, is you were, you would probably would have been voted least likely to succeed in recovery if they gave out that award early on with, you know, your closed offness, your inability to get vulnerable in treatment, your inability to take suggestions, your ego, your know-it-all personality. And you have turned into a shining example, A, for what not to do in early recovery, but B, if you start doing the things you're supposed to do, what you can actually become in recovery. So here you are now. How long have you worked for Recovery Unplugged? I started December 23rd, 2019. So three, three years, going on four. Okay. So, so here you are, three, three plus years. years working in one job, which beats your streak of two one months year. at a time. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a testament for you getting out of your own way. And now here you are, okay? You've become an adult in an adult body. Now, what do I mean by that, right? There are plenty of chronological adults in this world that are not very adult-like, especially when we lived a life of active addiction and we're still stuck in it. We have the mentality of about a you know 14-year-old. Yeah. Now you're doing adult stuff. You have a kid on the way. Yes. How excited are you for this? Or how terrified are you? Or is it both? It's it's both because um, ever since I was little, I, you always want to be a professional athlete. But I always wanted to be a dad. And I didn't think that was going to happen for me. Mm -hmm. I just didn't. It wasn't in my cards. And now I'm just... I just think about her. Oh, it's going to be a baby girl. So I, I think about her. I'm like, think what she looks like. Like, that's how crazy I get. I'm like, oh, she's going to go to college. She's going to do this. She better be a Dolphins fan. Um, like, it, it's exciting, and I'm scared at the same time. Uh, Mr. Ryan O'Connor, who's another really great success story, has chimed in in, in proper manner, too. Let me read this like we're Mr. Proper. Dan exemplifies that if you stay abstinent through the tough times of early recovery, the world opens up for you and your dreams can become reality. I love Ryan. So, he's so smart. He's so smart. Like he I've always said that about him. Like, you know, he's he likes to read. He he's really freaking smart. Way smarter than, you know, yeah, you he was and trying I to explain he was trying to explain space to me one time. And I was like, dog, it's over. You know what I think's crazy about space and squirrel, right? That's my yeah. ADHD, but it never ends. Yeah, I can't grasp that. It doesn't end ever. It just keeps going. And it keeps expanding. That's what you explained to me. I'm like, and going. It's like there's no wall at the end. Yeah, that's. Where does it stop? Not my problem. This isn't the right podcast for that either, right? Yeah. <laughs> this is not a philosophical, philosophizing podcast where we talk about space. Um, Especially from our, me and you. Yeah. So today, what does your life look like? Crazy, hectic, right? But in a good way. Mm -hmm. right? After this podcast, I got to go to work. I had to go do a meeting right after this. Um, I'm going to do an alumni meeting tonight. Mm -hmm. uh, at the alumni meeting, being uh, the girlfriend going to take a walk and exercise a little bit. I go to my at least two to three meetings a week. Tell us about the girlfriend. Tell us about the baby mama. <laughs> what do you want to know? 
<laughs> How'd you guys meet? Oh, we met at Recovery Unplugged. That's so weird. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, she's uh, she's awesome. Right. She was a, an employee of Recovery Unplugged, not a yes. client. Yes. Oh, yeah. No. We'll clarify. Okay. Yeah, yes. Yes. <laughs> so, she's probably listening in the back. I'm probably going to get in trouble for something. Oh, is she there? Yeah, she's in the bedroom right now. So. Gotcha. That's awesome, man. I mean, listen. You come. Um, her sister. <laughs> Who's that, Marissa? Yeah. Yeah. Tell us. Tell us how you met. <laughs> oh man. Whew, I'm in trouble. So, listen, you are a shining example of what can happen. You know, when when you start doing the work. Um, you know, your your stepdad just chimed in. Love recovery, success stories. This one never would have happened without you, Doctor Barry. Forever grateful. I don't take any credit for this whatsoever. Um, I'm always there to reach my hand out to anybody who is struggling. Um, I love your dad, and you know, would take you know my shirt off and bend over backwards to help you or your family. Um, I've met your mom. You, your family has to be so proud of you, and I'm sure they're going to chime in here in a minute. Oh yeah, Aunt Joanne Riss is on their camp, um, and that's something like I said. It's a buffet I learned from you. That's very just like just help. Don't take credit, just help. Right? AA's told me that too, but like I, I got to watch the people. Like free shout outs to Jeremy Benj, Bobby Trotto, Pete, um, Anna D, Christine Rob. Like I watch these people like no questions asked, start helping people. And like I, I take that to heart. And Ashley Armstrong, that's my boss. She's the best. She's one of the best bosses in the world. Um, I thought I thought she idolized me. That's so weird. She and I we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna have to talk about that. Um, oh, yeah. All right. So before we close here, because we're coming up on the hour, what's the one thing that you want people who struggle with addiction to know about treatment and recovery? And what about their loved ones? Like, what do you mean, like, to know, like? To get into treatment, out of treatment. To... What's the one? What 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 is the one message you want to convey to the millions of listeners that are listening right now? You know, drop your knowledge, drop your wisdom. Let's go. My the thing for me is get over it. Like get over something. You gotta forgive, forget, let go. Um, and just keep moving forward. I found many times there's tons of other stories I could tell you that I messed up in uh, sobriety, but I didn't get down on myself. I didn't get into the sorry storm. I just kept moving forward. And if you're looking to get help and you're on the fence about it, like just do it. What do you have to lose? Like I have, like I tell people alumni, like you're living under a bridge. Like at least come try to get three hots and kind of get some kind of knowledge and. Let someone else help you. Let someone else love you before you can love yourself. Like, that's what recovery is about. It's about family. Right? And that's the thing that, like, broke me. Like, people have no idea who I was. Hmm. Loved me. They came up and talked to me. You would come up and talk to me when I was in detox or PHP and, like, hey, how are you doing? And I'm like, what? You don't, you don't, why do you care about me? Um, yeah, you gotta let go of things. Like everyone has a sad story. What would you say to uh, any family members of addicts that are listening that that still have a loved one that's struggling with addiction? It, it might be a little hard for people, but uh, you gotta cut the safety net. You gotta help them to extent, but don't enable people. You tell them, hey, if you want, you want help to get in treatment or an AA meeting, NA meeting, Dharma meeting, I'll be here for you. But other than that, cut the safety net, right? Like sometimes we, we think that people are helping, but they're enabling them. Like only help them to a certain extent to get to treatment or get to an AA meeting, NA meeting. But you can't even give people like me food, right? Because my mom didn't know she was enabling me. She would be like, cook me a home meal and give it to me. But I knew that since she gave me food, I got the 20 bucks, I can still go cop, right? She would give you money for food. No, she would give me actual food, but I knew 
I had twenty bucks, twenty bucks in my pocket that I had to spend. So you on were going to spend on food, but instead, right. okay, right. So I would, I would cut ties of any kind of enabling and let it not be known. Like I'll help you when you're ready to get help. Dan, this was amazing. Um, right before we close, and and we're running, we just ran up on the hour. Um, final thoughts on the most important thing we didn't talk about today the upcoming dolphin season, which, which gets underway, the preseason gets underway actually on my birthday, August 13th. Since we're talking about resentments, you got to take me onto the field. You have never took me on the field yet. I, I, this is the first year I gave up my season tickets. I'm going to have to work that one out with you. <laughs> we, could, we could still go to a game, though. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're going to be all right. They're going to be mediocre at best. Mediocre at best. Yeah. I don't want to get my heart broken. So you're you're shielding yourself from potential Perfect. sadness yeah. by having very low expectations. I'm going to go on a limb and say that at a minimum they have a wild card berth this year. I don't know about that, man. I hope so. I, I don't. You heard it here first on the Rhyme and Reason episode number 19, Rhyme and Reason with Dr. Barry and Dan Dempsey. At a minimum, a wild card berth. At a maximum, first round buy and home field advantage. Let's fucking go. Uh, let's fucking go. I got your back, homie. <laughs> Love you, Dan. Thank you so much, man. Thank Great you. job.